Good morning. It's nice to be here. Thank you. You've been uh, working your way through Matthew, as I understand. Is that that's right? Yeah. You've been looking at the the teachings of Jesus. You notice how he's kind of got some really high level demands. You know, you ever notice his standards seem to be pretty high? How many of you notice that? Yeah, it's like how many of you live naturally like Jesus commanded? Try, yeah. How's that working? It, it, it doesn't seem to work very well that way, does it? And so we, we come to Matthew and um, we see this high standard. Jesus gives instruction about not to commit adultery. Um, but he also says, you know, that was something they knew, but he said, don't look with lust. He uh, he talks about uh, uh, not murdering, but then he, then he says, you know, some things concerning anger and contempt, and it sort of hits where we are, because probably most of us haven't murdered anybody in the last week, but anger, well, that's something else. Contempt is, 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 is something else. So, I mean, let's, let's say you hear a great message on anger, and you probably have, and, and maybe you struggle with anger, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you just sense like, well, I gotta do something about this anger. I, I need, to, need to change. And you're very determined about changing the way you respond when you get angry, and uh, that lasts about as long as you, the trip home from church and somebody cuts you off and, and then it's all over, right? And you're kind of like, well, I, I, I messed up that thing. And so what happens is the standard of Jesus is one of these things that is very, very high and, 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 and lofty. And we recognize that change is, is very hard. It's very difficult to do things. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter five. We're gonna look at that this morning from 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now that's, that's not a, uh, a, a biblical standard. That was actually just something that was popular in the culture. Uh, we don't see any place in the Bible where we're supposed to hate our enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your fathers who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? 
Therefore, you are, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's the standard. How many of you are perfect? Any, any of you? None of us. Okay. So that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a thing. And, 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 and you know, if, if we look at that and we look at that and, and we struggle with things in Scripture, sometimes we want to go to uh, the Greek and find out, well, what really is the standard? And maybe the Greek will give us a little bit of relief. And so I, I looked it up, if you're interested. I looked it up. The, the Greek word is teleos. And you know what it means? Perfect. So uh, where does that get us? Okay, perfect. So... Um, Think about this for a minute. It, love is acting in the best interest of another. It has to do with an intent for another person. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Um, I love my wife. I love my cat. And I love dark chocolate, but I don't mean the same thing when I say all those things. Love is not liking a lot. Love is an intention that you have for another. The intention I have for the chocolate is to eat it. I'm not looking to benefit it in any way. So we look at this standard, and Jesus is calling us to love our enemy, to love someone that maybe I don't even like. Anybody have someone like that in their, in their life? Some, yeah, I mean, there are people that kind of just are annoying, aren't they? And, and you look at this and you think, okay, well, who, who do I have? You're probably thinking of somebody right now that God is wanting you to love, and you're thinking, there is just no way. There's just, maybe it's that neighbor that just does something that just constantly annoys you. What do you do with that? The concept of enemy resides first in our minds. If you see someone as an enemy, that is a conclusion that is drawn as a result of ways you have been thinking about who that person is what he or she has done, what he or she has said, and what kind of person you believe that person is. And so these are ways that you hold in your mind and you're thinking about those and thinking about that person more only ratifies the conclusions you've already made. Yeah, I don't like that person. If, thinking, if that thinking process were to change, it would require a lot of work, wouldn't it? So this morning I want to share with you, because that's such a hard road, if you don't want to love like Jesus commanded, follow these steps. The first one is this. Keep thinking like you've been thinking. 
Now, we all have ways that we are comfortable thinking, right? And we like to talk to other people that think like we do because we, have, we get a confirmation inside of us. We, we talk to people that, that view certain things or maybe if you, you know someone who doesn't like that person either, you could talk about them and gossip a little bit and, and uh, confirm that you have a good reason not to like that person or to have them in that position of an enemy. We tend to be very set in the way we think. And we practice the way we think regularly. What we think affects how we see ourselves and others in the world. So I wanna talk a little bit about our thought life for a minute, all right? Four things, images. Now you might have the image of the Lord as your shepherd. That's a great image, but you might also have an image of, of uh, life like, um, I'm a victim, and life has been very hard for me, and that's the image you carry with you. That's gonna affect everything around you if that's how you view. So images are important. Preoccupations are also important. Any of you have preoccupations about something you're always thinking about? A preoccupation is a, a nagging thought or a concern that occupies your mind, and often they are contrary to the truths and principles of Scripture. But they're there, and we regularly think about them, and we return to those thoughts on a regular basis. We also have beliefs. Beliefs are things that we accept as being true. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade, um, the fifth grade teacher invited some students to come up and write some stuff on the chalkboard, and I was raising my hand, raising my hand, and, and, uh, and she just wouldn't call it. She'd look at me and she'd look, call somebody else, and, and she finally said, no, you're too sloppy. And, and, and I remember that, and she was right, by the way, but I, that made a mark on me, and it was a way I thought. So I thought, well, I, I, now I'm embarrassed to write in front of anybody because, you know, that's, that's what I see. It's a belief, and I believed that I just really wasn't worthy to go up there and, and do that. So beliefs are things that we carry. You have things in you that people have said to you that are not true, but you believe them. Isn't that right? People have, have put you in a place where you now see yourself, and it's not what God has said about you, it's what someone else has said about you, and you've accepted that. And as a result of that, you see yourself in the world through that kind of filter. And then there are, there are ways of thinking. It's a perspective of how you see yourself in the world, how you in, interpret the world. Uh, victimhood is a way of thinking. Uh, if you, know, you, you feel like you live in an unfair advantage in the world, and as a result of that, you don't, you don't have the opportunities like other people have. And so there are all those four ways of thinking about who you are, about yourself, about others around you. It frames a picture of the world that you live in, and it also paints a picture of who you believe God is. 
and how you are going to depend or not depend on him. Colossians 3.1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. So in the uh, 16 hours a day that you are awake, if I take for granted that you got eight hours sleep, right? What are you thinking about? Do you think about what you're thinking about? You get 16 hours in a day, and you can think about anything you want. Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. So what are you thinking about? Let me ask you this. Where is God? Go ahead, say it. Where is God? Right here, everywhere, right. So when you're 16 hours a day, how often are you living in the reality of his presence? Now, we sang about God's presence, right? It's a great and wonderful thing, God's presence. How many times, how many moments in 16 hours while you're awake are you actually thinking about God's presence right now? I am with God right now. To most people's, most Christians' uh, answer is that not many. Not many. Why is that? Because we're used to thinking how we think. And we don't want to change how we think. Does that make sense? Because if I'm going to set my mind on things above I'm gonna to have to do something different than I already do, and I don't like change. So, so what would I do if that's the case? It's why we tend not to find ourselves changing a whole lot. You ever known somebody in, in church that you, you don't wanna push their buttons? You know anybody with buttons? And if you push their buttons, whose fault is it that they fly off? It's yours, because they can't help it. That's how they view themselves. So we're talking about very base ideas of behavior, and we have a God who is calling us to a different kind of thing, and it's very, very difficult. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And hear this, we are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
Spiritual warfare has everything to do with how we think. And here we have an instruction to take every thought captive. I like to say it this way, there are no freebies. Sometimes we, because nobody can see inside, we just think we'll just think any way we want. But who knows? Well, God does. And we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's a pretty high call. What are you listening to? We are, we are flooded with information, aren't we? Turn on the radio, listen to a podcast, whatever. There are so many things out there. You know, it used to be that you had to have some sort of a platform to get your opinions into the public. Now any nutball with a smartphone can do that, right? And, and there are a lot of nutballs, right? And they're, all, they're talking about stuff, and it's like, why do you care? But there are nutballs getting millions of people listening to them. And you might be one of them. And you hear that, and you think, wow, that, that, that nutball's got a point. And you get carried away by thinking in ways that you shouldn't be thinking. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, it was a long, long time ago, um, there was a a 15-year-old girl that got saved in our youth group, and um, not long after she got saved, her her mom came to me and she said, you've gotta do something about this girl. You gotta do something about Janet. She is so angry, all we do is fight. And I said, well, I'll, I'll talk to her. She said, well, you know, because she's, she's supposed to be a Christian now and it's supposed to change everything. And her mom was not a, a believer. And so I met with Janet and I said, so tell me about how your day starts. And she said, well, my mom wakes me up and when I get up, I, I you know, put, put a, a record on or the, the stereo and I start my day and then mom comes in and she's, she's just so mean and she's angry and blah, 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 and they fight all day. So I, I asked her, I said, so what are you listening to? And she, she told me, and I was familiar with those bands, and I said, um, would you do an experiment with me? She said, well, maybe, I don't know. So I, I had, a, uh, I had a, uh, a, a lending library of contemporary Christian music. They were cassettes, and you know what those things are? They were the cassettes, and uh, I had a whole bunch of them, and I, I knew of some bands that would be, you know, con- uh, similar to what she was listening to, and so I gave her, I think, four cassettes, and I said, just listen to the, she said, for a whole week, and I said, yeah, for a whole week, and about four days later, I got a call from her mom. She said, what did you do to Janet, and I said, what are you talking about? She said, she has been so nice. And I said, okay, uh, is, that, is that a good thing? She said, yeah, it's really good. What, what happened? And so I told her she, what she was listening to. And, and uh, when I saw Janet again in, in a couple days, I said, so how's that been going? She said, it's, my mom has all of a sudden gotten really nice. 
And, and I said, so what did, what did she change? She said, I don't know. By the way, could I, could I keep these for another week? I said, yeah. She said, you got anything else? I said, yeah. So I gave her some more things, and, and it completely transformed her. Isn't it interesting, that one element? You know, right now in music, you can get just about any kind of explicit sexual content, anger content, uh, any, as rotten as you can come up with, you can find in music today. And you can get that also in talk and podcasts. It's really crummy. What are you listening to? And how does it affect you? How about the news? You watch the news? Uh, how do you know that it's the truth? How do you know it's a lie Well, their mouths are moving, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot to what you listen to that affects how you see the world. How you, what you read, what you put into you has a huge effect and it's gonna start there. And so if you don't wanna do this thing that Jesus is calling us to, keep on doing what you're doing because you will go right along not having any ability to love your enemy. Second thing is, if you don't want to do what Jesus has commanded, uh, keep feeling like you're feeling. You know, our emotions were given to us by God, and, and they are good. God designed them well. And our emotions are designed for us, for our benefit, to motivate us. I mean, imagine if you just thought that you were hungry, but you didn't feel hungry. Would you eat? Probably not. You know, you might have to see yourself dying, but the, the fact is, is that our emotions are good, but our emotions are supposed to be subservient to the will of God. We're supposed to do something about how we feel. If you watch the news and you see crazy stuff that was done over the night, do you know what that is? Emotions run wild. I want this, and so I'm gonna, you know, uh, back a car into the front of a store and I'm gonna steal everything. Who does that? People whose emotions are out of control. And we don't think that, that we're in that same kind of place, but the fact is, is that our emotions are something that we have to be able to deal with. God gave them to us, but he gave them to us so that they can be part of who we are to serve God. I uh, pastored a church years ago in Hemet, and we were a mobile church. So we actually worked at a uh, school too. We met at a school. And, and we had to load and unload, you know, that, that whole routine. We had the trailer and the van and all that stuff. And, and, and so at the end of a Sunday, when we finally get the trailer loaded, we would all go to lunch. And uh, 
Uh, and that was, that was a really good thing. But there was, there was one gal who, um, you know, there was probably one of 15 or 20 places that we would regularly go. And, and she would often say, well, I don't care. We're anywhere you want. And someone would say, well, how about we go over here? No, nah, I don't really want to go there. <laughs> well, what if we went over here? No, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. And, and she would get real bent if they wanted to go someplace that she didn't care about, but wanted, you know. And, and you, you ever see that? It's kind of, oh, I don't mind, I don't mind. No, 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 not there. Feelings have a way of getting the best of us. And we may not see it, but everybody around us does. And if you want to not do what Jesus says, don't worry about your feelings. Just let them float off and do whatever they want. Thirdly, ignore the conviction and leading of the Holy Spirit. Right now, as I talk about this love that Jesus commanded, you might be thinking about someone in your life that roughly fits into this category of enemy. It might be a neighbor, it might be a coworker, a boss, somebody who just won't give you a break, maybe someone in your extended family. And you're thinking, how could you possibly love that person? You might even be thinking about some lost opportunities to do so. When it comes to behavior, we normally wait until we have an opportunity to act. We get up right to it and then in the moment, because we're unprepared, because we've practiced what we've always practiced and as a result of that, how we act comes out, how we feel comes out, how we think comes out, because we're not doing anything different. And it may be that you are at a place in, in your life where you're saying, well, okay, maybe I do want to obey Jesus. How would I do that? Because the reality is, there is no way you could ever love your enemy by trying hard. There's just no way. I don't have it in me, you don't have it in you. There's no way. But there is a way in Christ. It starts with obedience. Rather than trying to change in the moment, maybe we would endeavor to become the kind of person that is not so easily angered. Maybe I become the kind of person that doesn't hate so easily. See, that's gonna take some work, but there's a road to that in obedience to Christ. The amazing thing about walking with Jesus is that 
while it is impossible to do that kind of love, we don't have to. Because in a relationship with Jesus, when we obey him, God meets us in that obedience and starts doing things inside of us that we can't possibly do ourselves. He starts changing us on the inside, making us different people. And I believe that's what Jesus was talking about. You know, at the beginning of this, when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand, do you know what he was talking about? He wasn't talking about heaven somewhere off in the future. Jesus was introducing a kind of life in the presence of God now that is completely different than we naturally live. It's a kind of life that, is, that we see expressed in Scripture when we see... Um, you remember when, when uh, Jesus was arrested and, and uh, Peter is, is, is looking on and a little servant girl comes to, to Peter and says, aren't you, aren't you one of them? And he denies it. Even though he said before, he wouldn't do that. And then the second time, you'd think he would have seen it coming, Right? Think he would have been ready for it, but no, he denies it again. And then finally a third time. If you fast forward into Acts, which is not much later than those events, we see Peter and John, and they are arrested for preaching. And they're, they're taken before the local courts, and they're told, they're beaten and they're told, no more preaching. And they just look at him and say, we're gonna obey God, not you. What happened between the denial and that point? The kingdom of God. They began to get a, a glimpse of what it was to live in the presence of God. And that makes all the difference. Jesus has called us to a kind of love. Let me, let me give you some challenges. When I was... Um, when I was in junior high, I, I grew up in a church. I kind of prided myself in being a good kid. And um, my junior high leader was encouraging us students to memorize scripture. And I was fairly vocal in um, uh, making fun of that. I would memorized verses my whole life going to Sunday school, you know. And uh, so after the, that meeting that night, the leader pulled me aside and he said, I want to challenge you. And I said, fine, what do you want? He said, I want you to memorize a whole chapter in the Bible. And I kind of gulped and said, fine. 
I said, what do you want me to memorize? He said, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. So over the next week and a half, I memorized 1 Corinthians 13. And it haunted me. All of a sudden, I had this description of God's love and a very stark contrast between what that said and what was true of me. And I was honestly embarrassed before God. I thought, what a hypocrite. And I was right. And it, I I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was so upset about it. I just, I don't want to think about this. I couldn't think about anything else. How in the world could that passage just fill everything I was thinking about? I don't know, but it did. It wasn't long after that I was up at Hume Lake at high school camp because I was going from junior high to high school. And about two o'clock in the morning when everybody was asleep, I finally surrendered my life to Jesus. And that began a process by which the word of God was taken seriously by me. And I started memorizing more and more. You know what memorizing does? It helps you set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. It's not that I think that the Lord would have us be ignorant of what's going on in the world. It's just that we need to see the world through the truth of who God says we are and what God says about the world. See, there's no possible way that you and I will love our enemies on our own. But I fully believe that if we start thinking differently, start putting the word of God regularly in us so that moment by moment we see the world through the filter of scripture. We will begin to think differently and God will change our hearts. And we'll start to love in ways that we never thought possible. Where is God? He's right here. He's right here. And I'm learning day by day to live that way, to believe it and to incorporate his presence in my life. That's an amazing call. And you know what? It affects everything I do, even the way I feel about things. It's not just what I think, but what I feel about them. And God has a way of changing those as we submit to him. If I, if I am willing to do that, to start taking steps and incorporating 
that into how I think through the day. The next time you see that person who is an enemy, maybe you'll think of them differently. Maybe you'll think about that person as a person for whom Jesus died. Or maybe you'll start looking at yourself and thinking, wow, Jesus loves me and he knows what I'm like. That's fairly profound, I think. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I've never understood why God loves me. Never understood it. Makes no sense. But he does. I want to finish with this uh, scripture in Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or haven't already become perfect, but I press on so that I may hold, lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is a great call that we have. If you sense that the Holy Spirit is calling on us to love like Jesus commanded, maybe there are some steps. And, and, and maybe you won't be perfect at it by next Sunday. But could you be better? Could I be just a little closer to having my thoughts filled with what God wants me to think about so that maybe I'll start seeing others the way he sees them? I pray that that's the case. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have called us to a great standard, but you haven't left us to do that on our own. Lord, empower us to follow you. Motivate us to follow you in a way that would really produce change. Thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.